0: Amen. All right. Check it
1: out. Here he was. He was just a humble, godly king in the midst of a long line of wicked kings. And so when this man's kingdom was threatened by this huge, massive army, he didn't turn to the idols of demons like his predecessors. No way, Tom. He turned to God, right? And his enemy approached the city walls and immediately began to taunt the people with fear, saying stuff like this. Tell your king this. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak all the empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? You will have to eat your own filth and drink your own urine. And then he went on to say stuff like this. He says, and and if you say to me, we're depending on the Lord our God. Don't be deceived. He can't deliver you. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his hand from mine? Where are the gods of Hamath in our path? Where are the gods of Samaria? Have they rescued them from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save his hand, uh, land from me? And, and then how then can the Lord deliver you from my hand? Well, the humble king simply replied to his people, don't answer him," And he simply tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, went into the temple of the Lord and prayed for deliverance. And sure enough, the king's God answered him, that very night, an angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the enemy's camp, just like that. And when the people got up the next morning, all they saw were dead bodies everywhere. So the rebel enemy withdrew, went back to his own kingdom, whereupon shortly after returning, he was struck down and killed by his own sons while he was busy worshiping his false deity. The book is 2 Kings, a little bit, I believe, in Isaiah as well. The judgment, of course, is the angel slaughter of the Assyrian army with King Sennacherib. I think I was going to name your next cat that. Whatever. Your neighbors might get annoyed by it. What's he saying? No. Anyway, but anyway, uh, folks, this is in the Bible. Did you know that? This really did happen. This is a make-believe. This is not some nifty flannel graph thing that used to be back in the day and, or some cartoon thing to draw on for kids to freak them out. Okay, this really happened. And what it tells you, you and I, is that God, obviously, how many guys would say, is not a very big fan of people blaspheming his name or threatening his people or mocking him, right? It's called sin. And the point is this. This passage tells us, folks, God takes sin seriously, even the sin of blasphemy, Okay, God is a God who will judge sin. And once again, here's the point. You would think then that people would stand up and take note and say, hey, woo, wow, okay. I, uh, I better get right with God now so I don't suffer the coming future judgment of God, right? Unfortunately, that's not what's taking place today. Why? Evolution. That's right, Debbie. I saw that almost coming out of your mouth. Uh, Evolution. The lie of evolution is blinding the minds of those who don't believe. And so they not only have a hard time believing in God, but one thing our world absolutely refuses to believe in, and that is that God is a God who will judge and judge sin, right? But he will, okay? And he's going to do it again. And so in order to help these people uh, hopefully become smarter people with all due respect, uh, we're going to continue our study, The Witness of Creation. And what we're doing is taking a look at different evidences that God's left behind for us, showing us, hey, listen, folks, he is not just real, but we really can have an intimate, beautiful, personal relationship with who? God. Gee, that's exciting. With who? God. It's amazing, folks, through Jesus Christ. Before it's too late is the whole key phrase there. Okay? And so far, we saw that first evidence, he reveals this amazing truth, is through an intelligent creation or intelligent design. The second evidence was the evidence of a young creation or young earth. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. The third evidence was the evidence of a special creation. Unlike the live evolution, we were not created by chance with no purpose. We were created for a special purpose to have a special relationship with a special God. Isn't that wonderful news? Okay? And then the last 10 times we saw the fourth evidence was the evidence of a judge creation. And what we saw is, and what we we've been seeing is the evidence of a worldwide flood what's the importance of the worldwide flood it shows that there was this guy and his family and they were the ultimate survivors on a boat Yeah. no it's not just that it's what? what was the flood about God judge sin he judged the whole planet because of sin And he's going to do it again. And we've been taking a look at that literal account, okay? Not just because the Bible says so. We've been taking a look at the evidence. And last time if you were here, we saw the evidence of giant life forms. You know, my family heritage. Enter, insert, chuckle. Thank you, all three of you. All right, okay, and what we've been seeing is uh, evidences of giant ages, giant conditions that produce these giant things, including giant plants, as we saw last time. And we saw, listen, there is no need to cave into the live evolution. And as a Christian, you don't need to somehow try to squeeze evolution and uh, the biblical account together. Just leave it alone. Leave the scripture alone. Just do your homework, okay, and you're gonna see it all makes perfect sense. God doesn't lie. Okay, there really is justification for giant ages, giant conditions, and even giant plants. Okay? But that's not all. The fourth evidence we're going to see that there really was giant life forms, the Genesis account is literal, Okay, is we also find not just giant ages, giant conditions, giant plants, we find, that's right, giant people. What? Are you serious? Yes, giant people. But don't take my word for it. The Bible's very clear about this. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And uh, we're going to read the first uh, eight verses there. And if uh, you find the uh, copyright symbol, what do you do? Hang on, right. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Let's take a look. Giants. Were there really giants? I mean, it really is. I thought it was just fairy tale stuff. Well, once again, folks, there's a lot more going on in history uh, than meets the eye, okay? Let's take a look at what the Scripture has to say. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, when you get there, say, move. Moo, ah, music to my ears. Uh, when men began to uh, increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, angels, i.e. fallen angels, as we'll see here, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Uh, then the Lord said, that's it. My spirit will not contend with man forever for he is mortal and the days will be 120 years. Clock's a ticking, flood's going to come. He's had it. You just crossed the line so to speak, okay? Then it says this, the who? The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, now listen to this key phrase there, and also what? Afterward, okay, when the sons of God, angels went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And so the Lord was grieved that he made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But what? Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Anybody glad that you found favor in the eyes of the Lord? Through Jesus Christ, okay? <laughs> we're not going to be judged, okay? But according to the Bible, we see that before, what's going on here? Before the world was judged by a flood, literally, there apparently was a group of people called out by name and category, if you will, in the Bible who were called the Nephilim, okay? It's what the word says there. And so, obviously, the question is, well, who in the world are the Nephilim? Those people that lived uh, past Henderson, no. Okay. The word Nephilim in the Hebrew uh, literally means giant. That's why some of you have been saying that. Okay. It means giant. And the phrase is there, heroes of old, literally means mighty, strong ones. So you put the biblical text together and what you have is this. The Bible pictures a group of people who were giant, big people, big, strong, mighty people. And apparently they were well-known in Noah's day. Okay. And again, some would say that these giant beings, these big, mighty heroes of old, big things going on there, okay, were created by some sort of hybrid issue going on with the fallen angels, okay? And I think that is one part of what created some of the giants and things of that nature prior to the flood, okay? Uh, But others would say, no, 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 really what's going on there that produced these Nephilim was what we saw last week and the pre-flood atmosphere and conditions that produced giantism and everything. And they say, well, it's just that because it's too freaky to deal with this angel fallen angel, demon thing. I personally don't think it's a either or. I think it's a both and. I think sons of gods are clearly sons of God, that they're angels, as freaky as that sounds. Okay, and uh, maybe someday we can get into that in greater detail. Okay, And I think that's some of the issues that's going on with UFOs and aliens and things of that nature uh, that's being repeated today. Uh, but uh, I think it's a both and. I think it was, the, yes, certainly the sons of God, the angels, creating some sort of hybrid, the Nephilim. But also because, like we saw last week, everything got bigger before the flood. Not just plants, but as we're going to see, even people. Okay, And that's what I think is key to understand. Because notice what that text says. It says the Nephilim were not only on the earth before, they were also after After the flood, right? And so that means if you and I tonight are going to take this Genesis account literally, which we should, by the way, okay, then we need to find some evidence that there are these big, huge, mighty, strong people, not just before Noah's day, but after Noah's day. And guess what we find? That's exactly what we find. (laughs) And we're going to see all kinds of evidence, folks. You talk about an ultimate conspiracy. This is awesome. Okay, the first evidence that there really was giant people, not only before the flood, but afterwards, after the flood, like the Bible says, is the evidence of mythology. Okay, now stop and think about this. This is really kind of cool, okay? Maybe there's more going on to those mythological characters, okay, that we've been led to believe, okay? It just so happens, folks. I mean, think about this. We've talked about this before. Just like with the account of the flood itself, It's the same thing with the giants, right? You know, we talked before that, well, gee whiz, if there really was a worldwide flood and it was a global event, that you would think that some other culture would record it somewhere in the writing, somewhere outside the Bible, if it was really that huge global of event, right? And affected all of humanity. Well, what have we seen before? There's lots of them, nearly 500 accounts, okay, of cultures around the world given various accounts of a worldwide flood. And that's what you'd expect. The point here tonight is, it's the same thing with these giants. When you do the history, it's not just virtually every culture talks about the flood. It's the same thing when it comes to these giant creatures. And you see that in mythology, okay? Let's take a look at some of that evidence. First of all, the word giant was coined in 1297, comes from the English word that was used for monsters of human appearance and great massive size and strength. And these accounts of giant men are common throughout mythology and legends of various cultures around the planet. Okay, let's take a look at some of those. In Greece, that's one of the most popular ones, right? The Greeks believed that the giants, or the gigantes, as they were called, uh, were involved in a conflict, this was their demise, uh, with the Olympian gods, and they called that conflict the Gigantomachy, or the struggle between the gods and the giants. Okay, These giants, they believe lost the battle and were placed beneath the earth where they continue to make mischief, causing volcanoes and earthquakes today as they would say, okay? Uh, Plutarch uh, uh, describes how the Athenians covered the body of a giant called Theseus, uh, who was, quote, more of ordinary size. And another ancient writer, uh, Aposinus, wrote how the kneecaps of another giant named Ajax, you know where Ajax, the cleaner? That's where you get it from, okay? Uh, that his kneecaps were the size of a discus. You know, the guy that throws that thing, his kneecaps are that size, uh, for the pentathlon, suggesting he may have been around 14 feet tall. Uh, In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus wrote about how there may be much more truth to the Greek accounts of giants than legend. We call them myths, mythology, make-believe stories. Jewish historian, this is a contemporary of the time of Jesus Christ's first coming. He says, no, there's a lot more truth going on. As years have progressed, people say, oh, that's a bunch of baloney. And they just call it mythology. He said, no, I don't think so. Quote, this is from his writings. For many angels of God, accompanied with women, and begat sons that proved unjust, and despisers of all that was good, on account of the confidence they had in their own strength. Okay. For the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the Grecians called giants. So he's saying, listen, there's a lot more going on. What the Greeks called the giants might be a little bit, you know, uh, perverted in some areas, but the core element is there was really giants in those days in the pre-flood world. Uh, William Winston, he's the translator of Josephus' writings. He said, quote, this notion that the fallen angels were, in some sense, the fathers of the old giants was the constant opinion of what? Antiquity. So you go back in history, it's only until recent times that people say, oh no, that's all make-believe. Okay. And, of course, evolution has helped to provide that kind of unfortunate attitude. Well, let's take a look. That's not just the Greeks. It's all of the world. How about in the Norse mythology? They speak of the Jotun or the giants, and some were not only portrayed as being huge, as you can see there, depict them, uh, but they categorized them. There was, there was different kinds of giants, frost giants, fire giants, mountain giants. They gave them names like uh, Loki, Mimir, Agur, etc. And it was believed that their chief god, Odin, was the great-grandson of the first giant called Ymir, okay? And uh, is what they believe. But also in Hinduism, it's all over the world. Just like the flood is recorded in all cultures on the planet, it's the same thing with giants. In Hinduism, they call them the Dayatas, uh, and they were considered to be the children of Didi. Okay? Always made up these jingles, these songs, little... Little Diddy Ryan, You get it? You got it? Thank you. Whatever. Hey, you try to make that funny. Whatever. Uh, Diddy, uh, who fought against the gods or the divas, and because they were jealous of these diva half-brothers and were said to be a power-seeking race. So they have records of that. Uh, Also in Bulgaria, this is interesting. In Bulgarian mythology, the giants are called uh, Isbelini and are believed to inhabit the earth before modern humans and lived in mountains, fed on raw meat, and often fought against the dragons. Ooh-wee. Wait, Lord willing, in a couple weeks, when we get to the final section, the truth about dinosaurs, and uh, did you know that um, if there were some dinosaurs... Wait a second. If the Bible says that God created all the land animals on day six, right, and Noah took land animals on the ark, then that means the dinosaurs must have also been, according to the Bible, created on day six, and then Noah must have taken some of them on the ark. What? And then if he took some of them on the ark... Then maybe some of them survived afterwards. A few of them, anyway, maybe. What? Well, why don't you ever see? Well, maybe you do. You see, the word dinosaur is a recent word. Okay, back in the day when they saw these creatures going around, these huge creatures, they didn't have the word dinosaur to call them. The word they used to call them was dragons. And you see, not only giants, but dragons. Ooh, wait till we get to that in a couple weeks. Lord Lots of stuff going on there, but that's what they believe, okay? Uh, In Europe, okay, in other European mythology and folklore, it said that King Arthur faced a giant and that many of the giants were believed, listen, to have built the remains of previous civilizations, okay? And this guy, Saxo Grammaticus, for example, he argues that the giants had to exist, okay, because nothing else would explain the large walls, the stone monuments, and the statues that were in existence as this guy shares maybe it isn't just that they had the technology that we saw before that they had that we can't even duplicate maybe they were able to do this stuff because they were bigger let's take a look at that in
2: In lebanon 44 miles from beirut are the imposing ruins of baalbek
1: there is mention of this place in the old testament's book of kings
3: Baalbek, in particular, is a very good example. That has the trilophon. Those are the largest stones in the world ever used for construction. They're so large, we don't even know their actual weight. Uh, those stones were somehow quarried, moved five miles, lifted 25, 30 feet in the air, and placed together so closely that you can't fit a razor blade or a piece of paper in between them. We have no idea how they did it. We don't have a crane in the world that can lift weights anywhere near what those things are.
2: No one knows for sure.
1: But according to Arab tradition, the earliest temples were built here after the great flood by a tribe of giants for the biblical king, Nimrod. Interesting. So maybe it was a combination of technology and size to be able to pull off some of this stuff. Let's keep going. Uh, In fact, the tales of a combat with giants were common uh, in folklore Throughout Europe, in Wales, Scotland, Ireland, many giants in English folklore told how giants threw stones at each other. Okay, And this is why, and is used to explain how many great stones appeared on the landscape. How did they build Stonehenge anyway? Who did that? How did they lift that stuff up? Interesting. Uh, and many today's fairy tales like Jack the Giant Killer have now formed our modern perception of giants as stupid, violent monsters, uh, sometimes said to eat humans, especially children. So you know they kind of make fun of them. But maybe there's a little bit more truth to them. In fact, in the Americas, there's all kinds of stories of giants. Okay, I'll just give you a little bit here. Uh, The Native American mythologies record how there were many giants throughout different parts of here in North America. In fact, according to the Paiute Indians, a race of red-haired giants that they called the Satika were cannibals. Oh, so maybe there's a little bit more truth to that about eating kids or whatever. Uh, And lived between, listen, the Sierra Nevada and the Rocky Mountains. And their mummified remains have allegedly been discovered in a cave near Lovelock, Nevada. Wow. Anybody want to take a road trip this Saturday? Interesting. Oh, lots of stuff going on in the desert, to tell you. But you start putting all this together, folks. We could spend a whole night just on mythology and the history of giants around the world. I just want to give you a little teaser. It's the exact same thing that's going on with the flood. You would think if there really was a worldwide flood, right, then you'd have other cultures talking about it outside the Bible. We do, over 500. You would think if there really were these things called giants, Nephilim, whatever, you know, that said was there before and after, you'd think somebody else would be talking. They are. It's the exact same thing, okay? There really was giants before and giants after, exactly like the Genesis count says. The second evidence that there really was giant people, not only before but after the flood, is the evidence of Scripture, okay? And hopefully, logically, you're going down this train of thought, okay? Because you might be thinking like Ryan tonight, right, Ryan? Alright, Did you get that first piece of gum, buddy? What a guy! Even caught kind it, of, man. Your grandma didn't even bat an eye. You didn't even blink. You didn't even move, man. You're like a warrior. So anyway, I'll tell you what. I want you in a battle with me. But anyway, uh, scripture. I digress. Uh, scripture, because you might be thinking, okay, well, okay, Pastor Billy. Um, so the cultures around the planet talk about giants uh, after the flood. Okay, just like the flood itself. I get that, so that's, that's kind of interesting, okay? But how do we know that these people, like the Norsemen, the Greeks, and all that, how do we know that their accounts are accurate like the Bible, okay? I mean, can we really trust those accounts? I mean, shouldn't we as Christians, shouldn't we stick to something much more reliable like the Bible itself? Yeah, absolutely. I am hope you're asking that question. Our sole authority for truth is the Bible. So let's see what the Bible says about these giants. We read the Genesis account before the flood. But folks, if you read the Bible, the Bible talks about giants after flood in various places, okay? And I want to share that with you. Now, we all know the account of Goliath, so I'm not going to belabor that one, a giant in the Bible, but I want to give you some other ones. And uh, the first passage that mentions giants in the Bible after the flood is Deuteronomy chapter 3, and this deals with Og of Bashan, okay? Let's take a look at this passage here, Deuteronomy 3, verse 10 through 11. Okay, you know, this is usually where we get into trouble. You know, every year, you know, make that New Year's resolution. I'm going I'm to read through the Bible this year. If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to do it. And you usually start off pretty good, and you go through Genesis, and there's lots of action going on. It's great. And you keep on cruising through Exodus, and there's more action going on. And by the time you get here, it's like, any quick. Keep, yeah, you know it's true. Richard's going meddling already, Tom. Don't speed through this. There's all kinds of stuff going on. God put it there for a reason. Deuteronomy chapter three, verse 10 through 11. We took all the towns on the plateau and all Gilead and all Bashan as far as Salika and Edri, towns of Og's kingdom in Bashan. Only Og, King of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaites. His bed, listen, this is in one verse. And how many times we flipped right by this, baby? His bed was made of iron and was more than what? 13 feet long, and what? Six feet wide. In fact, they said, it's still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. In other words, Tom, you want to go check it out? Just go on over there. Probably not today. That was back then when it was written. Okay. Uh, but anyway, but how many guys would say, it's right there in the Bible, this is after the flood, that a 13 foot long bed, six feet wide, made of iron. Why would you make it of iron? A big guy, right? Need the extra support. But how many guys, would say, that's a pretty big dude. Okay, obviously, okay. And, uh, but this guy would make this Og of Bashan a giant, a massive guy, a giant of a guy after the flood, okay? In fact, if you do the math, and if you use the Egyptian cubit, you're going to see that maybe he was bigger than 13 feet, okay? And if he continues to do the math, try feeding one of these guys. You're going to hope this guy never showed up for Thanksgiving. Watch this. This is wild. The Egyptian royal cubit was was 20.63 inches and with that in mind we can now
2: put it into our own calculations which would make his feet 15 his bed 15 feet 6 inches and it's width 6 feet 10 inches so and of course it was made of iron it's not just some guy with a big ego but because it was made of iron it means that he was very heavy and so he's probably a little bit shorter he's probably about 15 feet uh, tall And when we begin to look at that, here's modern man, and there's Goliath, and we have the Irish giant of 12 feet, and then King Og, who's 15 feet, putting them next to each other. You can see how you'd be somewhat intimidated next to this guy. And according to God, the Amorites were even taller. So remember, King Og is just of the remnant of the Rephaim. He's not even the big guy. So watch out. And how heavy was he? Well, thanks to Galileo and his equation he came up with, we can calculate his weight. So he was about 3,125 pounds. And uh, he you know, probably could lift his own body weight, I'm sure, maybe double that. So he could probably lift uh, at least two horses at the same time with a rider and throw them. Uh, probably a mid-sized car if today. You'd want to watch out if this guy's in your path. <laughs> And uh, he said it was a land that devours its inhabitants, because everybody was of great stature. Well, we can also calculate his basal metabolic rate. That means just the amount of calories needed to keep his heart beating, to stay alive, just the basics. He needed at least 22,657 calories every day, just to stay alive. That's not even talking about normal activity. You can only guess what he would have needed for normal activity. That's uh, just as very basic as equal to nine normal-sized persons. We convert that into pizzas. You've got 12 12-inch pizzas or 63 cheeseburgers and, uh, and probably a lamb every two days. So, uh, you know, if he, was, if he was really working out and stuff and going to war, he may have needed, you know, a, a lamb every day or maybe two lambs a day. It was a land that devoured its inhabitants.
1: Now, Jeanette, I know exactly what you're thinking. You are sweating bullets hoping that Og of Bashan never visits here and fills out one of those Connect cards. Because you know that week I'd have to rent a U-Haul to deliver the cookies for him. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Whoa, can you, what? Absolutely wild, okay? How many guys would cry if that guy came over for Thanksgiving or for even a snack? Okay, watch your dog, okay? But, uh, but anyway, no wonder the Israelites... Now, think about this. Why are they always recording this stuff in the Old Testament? They record these battles, right? Uh, did they record every battle or are they just hitting... The, I think they're, you know, maybe they're even hitting the highlights. No wonder they record this guy. And no wonder they record that phrase there about his bed. Okay? This is, I think this is a guy thing. I mean, this is like, yeah, we took down of Bashan, the big guy, the giant, right? And I think that's what's going on. The Bible even and it records this as big news. Uh, also, when they took down the Anakites, the Emites, the Amorites, and the Rephites, if you do this genealogy study, all these guys were the of lineage of the giants. So, no wonder the Bible repeatedly writes down, We took these guys down and these guys down. Could, could you imagine fighting that guy? And if you actually won, I mean, you guys would, like, you know, record it somewhere. Yeah, I took down this guy, right? Isn't that interesting, okay? The second passage uh, that mentions giants after the flood is Numbers 13. How many times have we read through this and just skipped right over it and had no clue as to why these guys were so afraid, okay? Let's take a look at what's going on. This is the 12 spies, by the way. Numbers 13, 26 to 33. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Remember those giant grapes? The grapes were so huge, they had to have a pole to carry them to, guys. Big food for big people, okay? They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Yeah, you know, God was right, right? Uh, here's the fruit. see the size of these grapes, whoa. But the people who live there are powerful, they said, and the cities are fortified and very large. And, and we even saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites, they live in the Negev and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, remember the genealogy of the giants, live in the hill country and, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And, and then Caleb said, hey, in the Hebrew, shut your mouth. He silenced the, the people before Moses and said, "Hey, listen, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. God's got our back. What are you freaking out for?" But no, the men who had gone up with them said, "No, we, we can't attack those people. they're stronger than we are." And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, "The land we explored devours the people living in it. Uh, all those, uh, the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seem like what? Grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. How many times did we read that, not realizing what they were really saying? Okay? This is the infamous account of the 12 spies that came back from spying out the land. They finally made it there. They didn't get lost in the desert. They made it there, just like God said, here's the promised land. I want you to give it. And what did they do? They came back with a report, okay, at least 10 of the 12, two of them, uh, Caleb and Joshua, trusted God, believed God, but 10 out of the 12 came back and they said, yeah, the land is flowing with milk and honey. God, you're right. This is a phenomenal place you're giving us. Okay. This is great. But what was their problem? They were freaking out because there were giants there. There were Nephilim there. Okay. Now what's interesting is they, if you don't get that, okay, they even makes this amazing statement. And I think sometimes we want to write it off as a, a euphemism right? Or they're, they're using hyperbole, they're exaggerating to make a point. And they said the phrase there, we are the size of grasshoppers compared to these guys. Well, maybe the reason why they said they were the size of grasshoppers compared to these guys is because that's really what was going on. These people were huge, like what this guy shares. Let's take a look.
0: And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come of the Nephilim, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. It's pretty easy to see why they would have viewed themselves that way. I mean, think about it. That big guy there would have looked at the six-footer, a ah, little grasshopper, I squashed you like a bug. You know? And the other guy like, man, I feel like a grasshopper compared to that guy, right? Uh, well. When you look through scripture, you find that sometimes it, it seems that the, the, the writers just insert something that doesn't appear to have anything really to do with anything. I mean, it's interesting or whatever, but so what? Like the grapes. When you're reading in Numbers 13, remember the story about the grapes? Man, it took two guys to carry a cluster of grapes on a pole. So what? I mean, is it just they got big grapes there. Wow. Well, as I'm studying the Giants and looking at all this stuff and thinking about height and all this, uh, my wife had actually brought me a bowl of grapes and I actually had a full cluster of grapes in the bowl. So I'm, I'm already studying all this, I look at this cluster of grapes, I grab it, and I walk into the bathroom and I hold it up to, the, to my head just to get a scale. I wanted to see, I wanted to get a scale, I'm like, why, you know, this is cool, why would you put it in here, you know, big deal. So I held up a cluster of grapes to my head just to get a scale to how big, how big does a cluster of grapes look to a person's head. And then I began to think, how big would this cluster of grapes have to get before I couldn't carry it anymore by myself? You know, I'm fairly strong. I'm 170 pounds. I'm thinking, okay, I started to scale up a giant with a cluster of grapes just to see how big it would have to get before I would need help. Well, I kept doing it, and uh, I found that it'd have to be over a 30-footer before the cluster of grapes would be scaled such that it'd be so big that I would need to ask my buddy for help carrying the thing. So I found that the cluster of grapes actually helps you understand the scale of the giants, interestingly enough. Wow. And I found this quote from an individual by the name of Michael Aloof, page 41 of his book, History of Baalbek. He says, after the flood, when Nimrod reigned over Lebanon, he sent giants to rebuild the fortress of Baalbek which was so named in honor of Baal, the god of the Moabites, and worshipers of the sun. See that stone right there? That thing is huge. You can see the size comparison with the guy standing there. That's roughly a six-foot-tall man standing on the end of that stone right there. Now, uh, modern historians and archaeologists will look at that and scratch their head and go, oh, uh, we don't have any clue. How in the world did somebody quarry that rock? How did they carve that rock? How did they move that rock? Nobody can understand that when you're trying to look at it with that frame of mind, six-foot tall guy, looking at our resources today, we couldn't move something that big. But if we let the scriptures speak for us, I believe this solves the problem. And there's what you got. You imagine two guys like Arnold, strong as the Oaks, right? Now that's pretty easy to see how that rock was moved. <laughs> hey, Arnold, stop flexing. get over here and give me a hand. <laughs> stop showing off for the camera. I need some help here. That totally explains the megalithic structures all around the world. Let the scripture speak for itself. It tells you there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, that being before the flood, yes, and also after the flood as well.
3: Interesting.
1: I'm so sorry to bore you guys tonight with this boring Bible study. The Bible is such a... Isn't it absolutely amazing? The Bible is such a fascinating book. If you take the time... Uh, to get in there to go. But no wonder you start doing these size comparisons. I don't know if I'm into the 30-foot-tall perspective, me personally. Uh, But again, maybe that's my own disbelief. I don't know. But still, you look at the size comparison. No wonder. Maybe that's a loaded statement. Maybe when the Israelites said, we look like grasshoppers. They really look like grasshoppers compared to these guys. remember there's a lot more truth going on, okay The third passage, and this leads us to this one. The third passage that mentions the giants after the flood is Amos chapter two, and this is God's rebuke of the Israelites. okay let's take a look at what God has to say there. Amos chapter two, verse nine through 10. God speaking, He says, "I destroyed the Amorites, you know the giants. What are you freaking out for? I, I destroyed them before them, though he was listen, God says. As tall as the what? Cedars. What's that? That's a tree. He's as tall as a tree, as God says. And strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots below. I brought you out of Egypt. I led you for 40 years in the desert to give you to the land of the Amorites. Okay? So you see here, God didn't get mad, if you will, okay, and judge the Israelites because they were lying about the giants. Because they weren't. Okay, there really were giants, and they really did look like grasshoppers. That's not what they got in trouble for. According to the scripture, their problem was a lack of trust in God, unbelief in him, that he could take care of the giants. And he's rebuking them here. I took care, what are you freaking out for? Okay, they should have trusted God. They didn't need to run and flee, okay? They should have trusted God to take care of them. But I wanted to give you a little bit of perspective with some modern technology I'm not justifying the Israelites' unbelief, because that is sin. Because we don't do that with God, do we? We don't act like our problems are too giant for him to... Yeah, he's going to medland part two, Tom. Okay, but I wanted to give you an idea of maybe why they came back with such great fear. Maybe they were afraid the battle was going to end up something like this once they entered the promised land. Let's take a look. Giant!
3: monks haven't rung that bell and... You know, I don't think I've ever heard them ring it. Run! Run! Jack. Run! Jack! What's he yelling? GIANT!
1: Of scripture come alive, doesn't it? You, that scene when they're run away—that's the wrong day. They have a Shetland pony. <laughs> How many guys would say that? Guys the size of trees. What what the passenger name say? Cedar tree. The guys the size of trees, throwing trees. What kind of freak you out? I'm not here to justify the Israelites' behavior. Okay, but you got something going on here. They got rebuked by God, not because they were lying about giants and that they were grasshoppers in comparison. They got rebuked by God because they didn't trust him to take care of those giants, as big as that is. You're getting an idea of, whoa. But are you also getting the bravery and the trust that Caleb and Joshua had says, no, we can do it with God. The lesson for you and I is this. We got giant problems today, but don't ever think that God can't take care of them, that they're too big for him. God is a giant killer, and we need to trust him, and he will slay them one by one and lead us into the promised land. Now, if you can't make that preach, you ain't got no preaching in you, okay? But anyway, the third evidence we're going to see that the rule was giant people not only before, but after the flood, uh, is the evidence of History okay? And you might be thinking, okay, Pastor, so mythology and the Bible talk about giants before and after the flood. I get that. But what about recent history? You would think that there's a lot more element of truth than we're led to believe about these giants. Then again, it would be recorded throughout history here and there. Well, guess what? It is all over the place. Once again, let me give you a little bit of that information. Giants throughout history, the body of Arrestus, according to the Greeks, was 11 and a half feet long. Uh, Pliny describes this guy, Gabarus, who was brought to Rome by Claudius Caesar from Arabia. He was 9 uh, to 10 feet in height. I adds that the remains of Posio and Secundula, uh, found in the reign of uh, Augustus Caesar in this garden place, uh, which was supposed to be the guardians, measured 10 feet 3 inches each. Uh, Josephus tells this guy, Elisir, uh, who was uh, uh, sent to the king of Persia to Rome, was nearly 11 feet tall. Uh, there are stories of Emperor Maximilian, that he was between 8.5 to 9 feet tall, and that he used his wife's bracelet for a finger ring, and that he ate 40 pounds of flesh a day and drank six gallons of wine. He was also credited with being a great runner, and in his earlier days is said to have conquered single-handedly eight soldiers. If you can go back to that video with the giants depicted from Hollywood, if you will, wow. Maybe again, there's a lot more truth going on, folks. It really makes the Bible come alive. Saxo the Grammarian, once again, he mentions a giant 13 and a half feet uh, tall in his writings. Uh, Fragus, this uh, a monster, quote unquote, supposed to have been slain by this guy Roland, the nephew of Charlemagne, uh, was supposed to be 11 feet tall. Uh, high about. It was said that there was a giant living in the 12th century under the rule of King Eugene of Scotland, 11 and a half feet tall. Uh, Beccanus, a physician of Charles V, says he saw a youth, listen, a youth, nine feet tall, youth, and a man and a woman almost 10 feet tall. Uh, Kaisler mentions this guy, Hans Brau, in Tyrol in 1550. He was nearly 12 feet tall. Uh, Ainsworth said in 1553, the Tower of London was guarded by three brothers claiming direct descendant from Henry VIII and surnamed Og, Gog, and Magog. All were eight feet, over eight feet tall, guarding the tower. Uh, in his Chronicles of Holland, 1557, this guy said that at the time of John Earl of Holland, a giant nicholas was so large that men could stand under his arms and his shoe held three ordinary feet. Okay? Uh, and uh, this guy, Platter, speaks of a girl in Switzerland, five years old, five years old, whose body was large as that of a full-grown woman. At the age of five, and who weighed, uh, when Wade uh, was a year old, was as much as a bushel of wheat. I wonder if the mom survived the birth. You know, you're going. That, I was going that direction. Uh, he also mentions a man uh, living nine feet. He was nine feet tall, whose hand was one and a half feet long. The hand. Okay, 1712 in Holland, there died a fisherman named this guy, Garrett, whatever. He was eight feet tall, weighed 500 pounds. John Middleton, born in 1752 in Lancashire, humorously called the Child of Hale. He measured nine feet three inches tall. Uh, Patrick Cotter, uh, successor of this guy, uh, claimed that he was a descendant of the famous Irish king, Brian Boru, uh, declared that he was nine feet in height, uh, died in 1806 at the age of 45. His shoe was 17 inches long, and he was eight feet four inches tall at his death. As you guys know, when you get older, you kind of shrink a little bit. So, obviously, you can tell I am 197 years old. Let's move on. Uh, the annual register records the death of Peter Tukin from Posen, 1825. Uh, he was 29 years old, 8 feet 7 inches in uh, height. Uh, there's a giant in St. Peter's uh, in uh, June 1829, 8 feet 8 inches tall, who was thin and emaciated? Probably ate chicken. Messed him up. Uh, Doctor Adam Clark. You know I had to get that in there. He died in 1832. He was eight feet six inches tall. 1837 in uh, Parma, there was a young man uh, in the service of the King of the Netherlands. Eight feet ten inches high, weighed 401 pounds. Fraser speaks of Chilean giants, nine feet tall. Uh, Buffalo Bill. He mentions encountering giants in his travels in America, and he writes some interesting things in his diary. We finally made it to the teaser. Let's take a look at that.
3: Now, if you study ancient legends, you'll discover the ancient, most earliest culture. Sumer has these legends. Assyria, Egypt, Incas, Mayan, Gilgamesh uh, Gilgamesh and Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, of course. Most of us are familiar with the Greek versions of this mythology. India, Bolivia, the South Asia, even the American Indians. I came across a fascinating reference in a book that was considered at the time very reliable, the autobiography of William Cody. Commonly known as Buffalo Bill. And if you look at Buffalo Bill's autobiography, Colonel William F. Cody, in 1920, there's a paragraph, I put part of it in here. He says While we were in the sand hills scouting the Neobara Brara country, the Pawnee Indians brought into camp some very large bones, one of which the surgeon of the expedition pronounced to be the thigh bone of a human being. The Indians said the bones were those of a race of people who long ago had lived in that country. They said these people were three times the size of a man of the present day, and they were so swift and strong that they could run by the side of a buffalo, and taking the animal in one arm, could tear off a leg and eat it as they ran. The bone was too big, they didn't have wagons, so they didn't keep it. So he recorded it in his journal. So, I don't know what to make of that, but I think it's interesting. You'll discover, if you study Indian lore, that the Indians were terrified of the six-fingered people. That's why when they met a stranger, they held up the hand to prove they only had five fingers. This how business is Hollywood, but the, the idea of greeting a stranger with your hand so he could count fingers. You'll find that recorded in the pictoglyphs in uh, uh, Chaca, New Mexico, among other places.
1: Well, that's interesting. Let's just get it over with. How are you guys doing? <laughs> All right, we'll talk later, Brian. But uh, <laughs> Now, folks, what's interesting, I was mean, just like, wow, talking about the Bible coming alive. Uh, that how thing of the Indians, just a little thing mentioned there, okay, uh, fits in perfectly, shocker, with what the Bible mentions about these giants, they also had a tendency to have more digits, according to the Bible. And this is what you read. And once again, those books you shouldn't read so fast. Take your time. 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4 through 8. And four, In the course of time, war broke out with the Philistines at Gezer. And at that time, Sebekai, the Hushathite, killed Sipai, one of the descendants of who? Raphaes. We're talking about giants again. And the Philistines were subjugated. In another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan, son of Jer, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath, giant, uh, the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. In still another battle, we, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with what? Six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. Maybe there's more to the Indian legend. He also was a descendant of who? Rapha, the giants. Uh, when he taunted Israel, Jonathan's son of Shimea, David's brother killed him. These were the descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. No wonder people bragged on David. That's a whole other interesting thing. David, everybody else is running with fear. David took on the giants. David, when he took on Goliath, Most uh, biblical scholars would say he wasn't a grown man. Some would say he's anywhere from 12 to 14 to 16 years old. My son, grasshopper, taking on a giant. No wonder David's fame. Isn't that wild? Interesting, okay. But that's not all. Uh, The fourth evidence, the rule of his giant, people know it before, but after the flood, is what I call the evidence of conspiracy, Okay, the evidence of conspiracy. And you might be thinking, well, after all this information on giants, the logical question is, you know, they're mentioned in mythology, they're mentioned in the Bible, they're mentioned in history. You'd think that you'd hear about it somewhere on the news and the media, academia, somewhere, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. That's what you'd think. The problem is there's a conspiracy going on. And Lord willing, Tom, next week, we'll get to that. Oh, let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get-A-Life Ministries, And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness We're not holy, we're not perfect like Him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pull the trigger, if you will, in your own heart, and the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the ten commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, In life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, The courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, They are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, As they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it's a proven fact. They did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, There's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over.